0: Inside his ornate study, the celestial toy maker, the being who had captured the TARDIS and its inhabitants, was surveying his extraordinary kingdom. The toy maker's study appeared at first like a room, then, as you became accustomed to its dimensions, you realized that instead of a the roof there was a black immensity of outer space and the twinkling stars of galaxies. The walls stretched up towards the blackness until they became indistinguishable from space and merged with it. Hanging on the walls was every conceivable type of toy, mechanical toys, electronic toys, dolls, teddy bears, puppets, marionettes and masks, some friendly and smiling, glittering with a malevolent presence of their own. Scattered around the floor of the panelled 18th-century room were a series of antique tables Upon each of them stood a doll's house, or marionette theatre. Some tables held various types of games, ranging from pinball machines to chess to obscure board games dating back over the centuries, many of which had long since been forgotten in the mists of time. The toy maker was lounging in a black Chinese chair behind a lacquered Chinese desk, inlaid with mother-of-pearl and scenes of Chinese life, after the style of the willow pattern. Further around the room, there was a collection of mechanical clocks, some with figurines which came out and struck the hour with huge gongs, some, like the ancient town clocks of medieval Germany, with a series of figures led by Father Time with his scythe that paraded when the hour was struck. The whirring clicking mechanisms, the occasional cuckoo from the cuckoo clocks, and the loud ticking from the grandfather clocks, produced an almost symphonic medley of sound. Incongruously, the antique desk possessed a series of switches and buttons glowing softly with a carefully coded system of vari-coloured lights. In front of the desk stood a triangular table with the letters A, B, and C inlaid in each corner. On the two sides of the table there were two chairs. The toy-maker stood up, a tall, imposing figure, dressed as a Chinese mandarin, with a circular black hat embossed with heavy gold thread, a large silver red and blue collar, and a heavy, stiffly embroidered black robe encrusted with rubies, emeralds, diamonds and pearls, set against a background of coiled Chinese dragons. With a wave of his hand, the toy maker stopped the cacophony of ticking, clicking machines. He looked around the room with his deep-set, glittering eyes. "'Let's see now,' he said." I think it's time to play a few games.
1: That was a reading from Doctor Who, The Celestial Toymaker by Jerry Davis and Alison Bingman. Um you're listening to A Book at Breakfast with Chris Newton and Mark Charlesworth, and this is uh, a bit of a, a bit of a different episode, a bit of a special episode. It's it's Books at Breakfast today. Um, If you're joining us for the first time, usually we pick a completely random book and pair it with a breakfast. But we've done the book for November, and it was The Day of the Doctor uh, by Stephen Moffat, which was a novelization of his Doctor Who episode of the same name. Uh, But because it's who (laughs) the the anniversary of, of the first episode of Doctor Who, and the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who this year, we're having a bit of a Doctor Who bonanza, and we deliberated on which books to cover because there are so many of them and we've talked at length on this podcast about how much we love target books which are novelizations um, of uh, classic and new uh, Doctor Who episodes Um, but we thought we'd kind of just delve in and start by kind of anticipating the 60th specials that are coming out at the end of this month um with David Tennant returning as the 14th doctor uh and we thought you know we were going to speculate a little about what we think's going to happen in those in those new anniversary episodes but uh to fuel our speculations we're going to dive in to um the the wider world of Doctor Who in print um so yeah so that was a reading of the celestial toy maker um, which uh, is a novelization of a first doctor serial so a lot of episodes from that era are missing although they they're finding and animating them more and more because the audio survives so if you want to know more about the celestial toy maker uh, you can read this book um or you can listen to I oh, know I don't think there is an audiobook of this actually not yet
0: I'm really surprised that they've not animated this one given what's been covered but then mm. again I think it wasn't confirmed until probably a couple of months ago that it actually was the toy maker who yeah. Neil Patrick Harris is going to play in the you 60th. Was, so maybe they thought if they announced it, given the animations take so long to do, yes, it'd be a it bit of a giveaway. Yeah. So maybe we will get an animation after the episode. There have are rumours about it, yeah.
1: Mm. Um, and I'm surprised that they didn't reprint the book, actually. But like you say, they're probably trying to avoid spoilers. Yeah. Um, because the, the version we're reading today is the Kindle edition, because it's one <laughs> of the few targets I don't own, because it's quite rare and it's very expensive and um you know, I lo- we love Doctor Who. I think that goes without saying. We love Target Books and we love the Celestial Toy Maker, but this is the worst ebook I've ever owned <laughs> in my life. It's kind of it's hilariously bad in that the cover that we're looking at now. It's not even a scan of the actual. It's just a photograph of the book. And this is re- I bought this <laughs> on, <laughs> on on Kindle. Um, there's clearly a wooden table yeah. <laughs> in the background that it's resting on. And, and this the, is the Amazon like Kindle edition. I'm going to read you the table of contents and let me know if you spot any inconsistencies. Chapter 1, Trapped. Chapter 2, Bring on the Clowns. Chapter 4, The Hall of Dolls. Chapter 5, Siege Perilous. (laughs) Chapter 6, The Last Deadly Sister. Chapter 7, Enter Mrs. Wiggins and Sergeant Rugg. Chapter 9, The Final (laughs) Test. And Chapter 10, Stalemate. Is this a clever Stephen Moffat Day of the Doctor thing? I assume it must three be. and eight yeah, being missing? Well, the last book oh. we just discussed began with chapter eight. So yeah. yeah, there's probably been a time storm, a bit like um, <laughs> the one the, above the Camden. Camden in <laughs> yeah. 2017. But yeah. maybe we'll come to that on another episode. Um, and we also, uh, in the last episode, we were talking about the Day of the Doctor, which is one of the all-time great Target books. One of my favorite books, probably one of yours. Um, and we were saying that it's the an example of target at their best. And we were saying that at their worst, target is very much um, just taking the, the screenplay and adding tenses. And I'm afraid <laughs> to say that this one really does stray into that uh, category with, you know, Dodo and Stephen looked anxiously at each other. But, said Stephen, we're still inside the TARDIS. Surely nothing can harm us inside here. Evidently, there is some great power that can penetrate beyond our safety barrier, replied the doctor's voice. If the Doctor and his companions had been able to look outside, open parentheses, the scanner was not on, close parentheses, (laughs) they would have been able to see that the TARDIS was standing in the middle of a large octagonal room, not unlike the interior of the TARDIS itself. And it's funny because the excerpt I read at the
0: beginning is not necessarily representative of that, but I have to say, when I read it in my head, I thought it was wonderfully descriptive, but when I was reading it out loud... Mm. Uh, at the beginning it slightly reminded me of that bit in friends when joey is writing chandler <laughs> and monica's best man speech and I, they say it's too basic so he uses a thesaurus <laughs> to make all these big words insert into it and i it it kind of felt a little bit over I, I know Almost a bit like when we started out writing and yes, we write an entire yeah. like oh 10 page God. chapter yeah. describing the minutiae of all the detail the characters would pass on a walk between one major yeah. plot point to the next, <laughs> but it,
1: it it is pretty I great. Loved, I love that, yeah. that 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 little snippet you read, mm. and I love it again. That's despite what I said about this maybe not being one of the best books in terms of its sheer literary merit. It it was an example of Target at its best in a different way of taking. Now the first episode, the only footage of the Celestial Toy Maker that remains is the final episode, mm. so we'll never know well some people will be around who saw it yeah. and remember it but uh, but we'll never know what that looked like and i'm gonna i'm gonna hedge my bets and said it probably didn't look that good but it's what a wonderful <laughs> description it is of like the swirling cosmos behind him and it, you get this this sense of the toy maker as this kind of being of well complete mystery and other otherworldliness. and and i think it almost you know there's there's an element with the novelization here of phoning it in of just taking the script directions and putting them in a kind of novel form but you can tell there are moments where the authors have Said, okay, well, here's something that, that wouldn't have looked that like great on screen that we can really go to town. And, and they're not describing something that's in a script. They're kind of using their imaginations there and giving you a, a little glimpse of, of who the character is. So, who is the character? Who is the celestial toy maker? Who, I don't know if we've actually said this, it should be kind of obvious. I, I imagine everyone listening knows, but Neil Patrick Harris is going to be portraying the toy maker as the antagonist in the upcoming Doctor Who 60th anniversary special or specials? Possibly. Mm. We don't know yet. Do we know, no. we know he's in the last he's one? He's confirmed for the Giggle, the final one. But I'm, I'm expecting there to be a bit of a kind of mini um, art. What do they call them? The, the the long. It's been so long since there was a series of Doctor Who on. I yeah. can't remember what they call it, <laughs> where there's like a, a long-running... Th- thread throughout the where they have the big bad at the end, like Harold Saxon or Mm. Torchwood. or What is it called? The series arc. Let's call it the series arc.
0: A little bit like um, when Missy was first introduced. Exactly. She kept kind of popping up at the end of episodes and things. I'm expecting that as well. But
1: but yeah, so a lot of people are going to be seeing the Toymaker for the first time. mm. um, And they'll be wondering, who is he? So who is he? It's not an easy question to answer. It's an interesting question because I've watched... A surviving
0: episode of the Celestial Toymaker, mm. um where he's portrayed by the wonderful Michael Goss. Oh um, what a legend. And in a way, I almost think it's a gift that there isn't much surviving apart from that little snippet, because the Celestial Toy Maker is there as an idea mm. and we don't know too much about that character other than that he is immensely powerful. Mm. And has the power to affect things in the Doctor's world and play with the Doctor's head in a way that very few people that the Doctor encounters across their travels do. But we don't know that much. And I think that's the gift to Russell T Davies, that essentially he can take this character as a throwback to right back to the show's origins mm. to celebrate the 60th anniversary. I mean, what could be more perfect? And, An original uh, 60s yeah. Hartnell villain, yeah. Who's and never yet, come back? is kind of a blank canvas it's at weird. the same time yeah, because yeah. he can almost make what he wants of this character. Um, yes. So...
1: Maybe I've completely avoided the answer to the question. <laughs> no, but... I deliberately asked it because there was no answer. You deliberately <laughs> tried to trick I me I did. I am the toy maker. And I walked right into your <laughs> trap. Um, and what I find... So, I, yeah, so I came to this novelization. And, I, and I've i probably talked about this on the podcast before. When I was 10 years old, uh, I had a book called Time Frame by David J. Mm. Howe. And it was magical. It was a sort of... Basically, one long synopsis of every Doctor Who episode ever up to that point, <laughs> like Coronation Street, the novel. <laughs> Not quite as as weighty as that tome, but yeah. Um, and and every page, it would have a. Um, it was called Moment Magic Moments, and it would be various cliffhangers, and there would be stills from the episodes. Oh but wow! Text, oh, pictures. Oh yeah, but the text underneath was extracts from the Target books. Mm. I remember, like the one that always sticks in my mind, because I I read a lot of these before I actually saw the episodes and it was um, from Frontier in Space where the master's on the clifftop and he says oh doctor I've brought some friends to see you and then the Daleks <laughs> arrive it's so cool um, and there was a great there was a whole like it was a big um, you know huge hardback thing and, and they had these gorgeous reprints of the target artwork peppered throughout and i remember that the, the image uh, from the cover of the celestial toy maker was just like mind-blowing it's like what who is this character and obviously i recognise michael goth uh as, as alfred from mm. batman and of course barusa um he was barusa wasn't he in um is it the Ark of infinity is he ah is it is it Arkham City or is it um, the Tom Baker one, the um, Deadly D- Assassin? Deadly Assassin. Yeah. I, th- all those Gallifreyan ones kind of merge in my head. <laughs> I I have it in my head that I've seen Michael Goff opposite um, Peter Davison, mm. but I could be wrong about that. But but yeah, so I came uh, to this novelization with a lot of anticipation, but really not knowing anything, um, and. The, the toy maker has this kind of excitement around him in the same way that you know like the master does or mm. uh and and yet and it's almost like you know like the meddling monk it's like he's almost like a, an equal to the doctor or possibly even more powerful than the doctor and a real threat of an adversary and i so i came to this novel thinking oh great i'll, I'll find out some more about the character and you and really it just asks more questions but what <laughs> i find really interesting is that um the doctor the first doctor or rather william hartnell's doctor depending on where you want to do with the numbering these days um william hartnell's doctor already knows who he is mm. and he already knows the doctor um uh so you get uh the, the the first doctor saying i suppose i should have guessed it was you when i realized the power of the force field you put around the tardis the toy maker nodded slowly an ironical smile on his face of course doctor I've been waiting for you for such a long time. <laughs> and you think, what is the history between yeah. these two? And and he never says. Um, and then uh, a little bit uh, later, you get you get a glimpse. Uh, and in fact, you know, I asked you uh who is the celestial toy maker well dodo asks the very same question ah. so this is the doctor's answer when dodo asks who he is a powerful evil the doctor's face darkened he has created a universe entirely in his own vision where he manipulates people and turns them into his playthings he gains control of your mind through these screens be careful it's a trap Really, doctor, the toy maker's <laughs> laugh was low and musical. The doctor and his companions turned. There, standing to face them, was the tall imposing figure of the celestial toy maker. What a spoil sport you are, doctor. I thought they would enjoy my memory window. And the memory window he's opened is to the day that Dodo's mother died. So you get, even, you know, we're only a few pages in, you realise that he's playful, but he's he's quite malicious and malevolent and evil.
0: The sort of um the childlikeness of some of the phrases mm. he uses yes. is quite sinister as well, like when he's saying spoil sport. And yeah. we've recently both read the Toymaker stories that come up in the Tales of Terror, and Ooh, I think yeah. um, Jacqueline Rayner captures mm. that very well but maybe I'm jumping well, ahead we'll we, yeah there. yeah we'll go
1: chronologically because mm. I, I really want to talk about that but um oh, oh and I'll just before we move on I will just um I will very quickly read the end uh of, of the novelization and again you can actually you can see this on screen because the, the final episode survives um but it's worth you know uh Again, Dodo, the doctor manages to outwit the toy maker and they escape from the universe he's created, except it's implied that he has to well, he will be destroyed with it, and yet now there we go, um white clouds of debris flew in every direction. The celestial toy room was no more, and yet it's it's very much explicitly stated that the the, the toy maker is a kind of eternal, indestructible being who eventually will return and create a, a new world. Hmm. Um but, was uh,
0: handy because <laughs> but 60 years later they've taken that thread and run with it yeah
1: but, uh, we'll never meet him again will we doctor asked dodo ah, i wish that were so said the doctor but the mind is indestructible and so is the toy maker i'm afraid the world is full of destructive toy makers like him do you mean that he and his like can never be destroyed said stephen even though you defeated him said dodo this time, yes, but there will be other meetings in other times," said the doctor. "There will always be a celestial toy room in the universe, <laughs> and that's the end." It's very spooky. And toy makers, plural. Mm. Like, who is he? Where is it? He... So, so yeah, the doctor promises further <laughs> adventures with the toy maker, and it took a while. Uh, except it nearly happened a lot sooner, um, because uh, in the nineteen eighties, the show was put on hiatus. Boo hisp and uh it was clinically fed up it was clinically (laughs) i don't know if there was an interview recently with uh mark gatis talking about the potential uh potential sequel to an adventure Mm. in space and time did you see that no i didn't Uh, and i thought oh he would do one about russell bringing it back in Mm. 2003 but he said no um He said, what's more interesting than Genesis is Peril. Mm. He said, there's something really interesting about a show in Peril. So he wanted to make one about this era, the the Doctor in Distress era, which for anyone who doesn't know was a terrible (laughs) charity single. Uh, It was a cold, dark night in November. (laughs) Um, But Basically, yeah, the ratings weren't doing very well. It had been shifted to weeknights instead of Saturday Mm. nights. It was just a a very dark period for Doctor Who. And... um, yeah, so it was put on hiatus and came back eventually with Trial of a Time Lord, which was kind of a bit of a, a meta commentary on the fact that they felt that the show itself was on trial. But um, but Trial of a Time Lord replaced an entire planned season, which had all been written and scrapped. And there's going to be an Auton story in there, Aww. which I believe was written by Robert Holmes. Really? Who wrote the original Spearhead from Space. It, it was, was that called... of the surface in any form? I feel like there should be a novelization, surely. Mm. Um, it's called something like, yellow fever and how to cure it oh yeah really weird um but uh most if not all of the missing season uh, were novelized by target and I, so it's so the nightmare fair was going to be the um i think it was going to be the first episode of that season because at the end of uh, revelation of the daleks um i don't know if you remember the the end of that episode the doctor's cut oh, off mid-sentence yes. i'm going to take you to and it would have been blackpool yeah and that yeah. was he said blackpool yeah. that and then we were going to jump back in there and we get what i only realized earlier this year and i messaged you at the time we get a retread of city of death except it's blackpool instead of <laughs> paris and it begins with the doctor at the top of uh blackpool tower with um blackpool has a bouquet no he, he doesn't he doesn't really <laughs> say that uh, but it is very very similar Perfect, cried the Doctor. There's nowhere else like it in the universe. Not this universe, anyway. He held a brass telescope to his eye and moved it slowly across the horizon. The breeze ruffled his hair and beside him, Perry shivered and pushed her hands further into her anorak pockets. They're trying to build one on the rim of the Crab Nebula, he continued, but the design concept's all wrong. They're trying to build it for a purpose. What's wrong with that? I should do Perry's action. What's wrong with that? That's Perry. (laughs) Everything. You can't build a place like this for a mere purpose purpose he snapped the telescope shut and spun to face her. and don't talk to me of the fluid lines provoked by ergonomic imperatives there's a lot of that in this novel it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not an easy one to read i'll be honest that's verging um, on big
0: finish territory yeah for well and it, it's interesting big finish did that book yeah. was written in the 80s mm-hmm. and there still isn't a blackpool or eiffel tower on the crab nebula i was there last <laughs> week
1: <laughs> well you know because they're trying to give it purpose that's yeah. why but there's you know, a it's lovely a, swimming pool i will say that um but as as a Black Pudlian, it always kind of intrigued yet irked me that they were, there was going to be a Doctor Who set in Blackpool. And they came so far with it. They even. It was set in the. Well, in and around the Pleasure Beach. Uh, and. Uh, the storyline involved uh, revolves around local kids going missing uh, at the Pleasure Beach um, and there's even, if you watch one of the DVD extras there's a letter from the Pleasure Beach to the BBC oh. granting them permission to film there uh and michael goth had signed on really? and agreed to return oh, as the celestial toy maker wow. it would have been epic but um it was cancelled the whole whole season was scrapped and it was never to be so i'm so glad this book exists
0: i i'd say i'm glad the book exists regardless <laughs> just for the about just <laughs> for the cover just to have michael goth and the blackpool tower Yeah and the Doctor Who logo it's on the, wonderful. Of the It's
1: Is it enough for me? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. And only this year they released an, a new audiobook of it, actually. Mm. Which, again, it I think it came out in the summer and apartment was thinking, is this because the toy maker's coming back? Yeah. And, and as much as, as I love the idea of the Nightmare Fair... Uh, and as I said, they did adapt it for audio with Big Finish with Colin Baker as the sixth doctor and Nicola Bryant as Perry. Unfortunately, Michael Goff had passed away by that mm. point. Uh, so it was a different actor playing the toy maker. But, he, you know, he, he does a good job. Um, but uh, this episode, episode, this story never really clicked with me, I'm afraid to say. And I think you mentioned it was it was written in the 80s and set in the 80s and i think that's something to do with it because there is a kind of sinister childishness mm. childlikeness to the toy maker and in the 60s one there's something very timeless about it because he has them playing like analog games mm. and there are dolls like creepy dolls and and you know um whereas and i can see the reasoning behind this but for the 80s one they modernized it and the doctor and a character's called Kevin which is very funny because repeatedly in the narrative it refers to Kevin and Perry <laughs> which makes me think of Harry Enfield um, but uh, yeah they're trapped in basically a sort of a, uh, a computer games arcade and it should feel kind of charmingly retro in a Stranger Things way but it just seems sort of horribly dated mm. and cold and digital and lacks the, the, the weird, the warmth but the sinisterness of, of the original Toymaker I
0: think one of the problems with those '80s stories, as well, is whereas the '70s had all been like location footage and country houses yes, and woodlands, yeah, yeah, they're very much kind of sound stages, quarries, and industrial estates, yeah, yeah. which the '60s ones were as well. But there's almost a gift that the black and white and yeah. the poor quality camera footage disguises it's it. It's a and filter, makes it look mysterious. isn't it? Yeah. Like I was saying to you, I was watching um, the trout one uh time meddler the time meddler that's that's hartnell oh not the time meddler the mind robber oh the mind robber yeah yeah yeah. i was watching the mind robber recently and even though it's really clear they're on a sound stage there is a real magic with the way they've staged it yeah the way they've built the kind of the forest of letters okay to modern kids it might not look great but to me it looks fantastic that said i did read somewhere that somebody said that the Mind Robber is their five-year-old's favourite episode. And I thought, how wonderful that five-year-olds are watching Patrick Tram. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the Celestial Toymaker. Or does it? Or does it? (laughs) Because (laughs) I I, I think the Mind Robber and the Celestial Toymaker... They share some DNA, definitely. They they definitely do, yeah. Um, But but that's baseless speculation.
1: Despite the fact that... um, even, you know, the, the words, the Nightmare Fair, they just provoke some kind of excitement mm. in me. But despite the fact that I didn't really love this story in any of its iterations, you know, reading it on audio or the, you know, audio dramatization. But you do get some interesting snippets about the Toymaker in mm. there. And, you know, this is this is an official Doctor Who publication. It's a Target book. It's written by Graham Williams. So I'm I'm counting this as, as canon. Thorns of Nyman, man. Um, so we get yeah more snippets about um the nature uh of of the toy maker uh the game this is obviously at the end when the doctor has unsurprisingly defeated him once again, although there is a sense <laughs> of threat with the toy maker mm. and again in in relation to the upcoming um specials there's that the line in the trailer of the doctor saying to donna i don 't know if I can save you this time mm. think there's real peril here, and we know the doctor's going to regenerate into shootygatwa presumably mm, um, yes so
0: i mean that's often one of the things yeah. with old characters coming back you know that they're going to be safe because them mm. in the later stories but with day the tenham so we don't uncertain. know i mean just to speculate hypothetically he could get shot right at the beginning of the first <laughs> yeah. 60th and he could spend three episodes regenerating well, yeah he yeah. could be in peril the whole time
1: well you know um twice upon a time was like an hour-long well, regeneration yeah. you know yeah but and then,
0: um, just to correct myself, Graham Williams was the producer of the Horns oh, of Nymon, not the writer. There. But he, he did was write involved.
1: City of Death. I mean, no, he didn't, because it was Douglas Adams. Mm. But he was involved with it, wasn't he? Yeah. Anyway, and I love both of those. Oh, I, God, I, yeah. I
0: really love the Horns of Nymon, which I know isn't a popular.
1: You know what? I've never, episode, I've but... never read the Target Horns of Nymon. I mean, hmm. it's great because I think, I think that suffers a little bit from being um, studio based. Anyway. But uh, towards the end of this story, when the Doctor has triumphed over the Toymaker, you get to... "'The game!' stammered the Mandarin. "'You're not thinking about the game!' There was a blare from the machine as the Doctor's last life was lost. The counter had come to a stop. 131,000. And the Toymaker's score was languishing under last player. The Doctor appeared not to notice. "'You're not from this universe!' he repeated." That's why there's no trace. That's why the laws of this universe don't concern you. You're from another time and space, which, you know, makes him a threat mm. because he can't ever be defeated or even understood. Um, but it's really interesting, you know, because the sixth doctor is quite brash. Um, but we <laughs> get like, he almost seems a bit David Tennanty here with the, I'm so sorry, uh, the way he reacts to his realization of, of what the Toy Maker is. The doctor was in full flow as the ramifications of his theory crashed in on him. Behind him, the game machine's ominous crunch, crunch, crunch had started distantly in the background. No one took any notice of it, not yet. Whatever catastrophe it was, the doctor continued, much to himself as to anyone else, it hurled you from your own universe into this one. You carry your own matter with you. You'd have to. It's not antimatter, of course, otherwise you'd have started the next big bang. But different from ours. He paused, thunderstruck by his own conclusions relativity he breathed follow it through he swung round on the toymaker again your universe is receding from this one so fast it's pushing back your time as it goes he stared at the toymaker awestruck you'll live for millions of years the toymaker had a look of crushing despair on his face as he croaked out i have done the crunch 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 was getting louder a figure had appeared at the center of the screen and was growing larger closer the isolation of aeons, whispered the Doctor, overcome with compassion for the being he detested all his adult life. The crushing loneliness of thousands of millennia. You poor, poor creature.
0: It's interesting getting that glimpse of um, a sort of softer, more compassionate portrayal of mm. the Sixth Doctor. Um, and one thing I was thinking recently um, I'd been reflecting based on the tales of the TARDIS that have come out recently. Oh. Where they've, um, they've brought together old Doctors and Companions in a memory TARDIS. Um it's so lovely. And it's really lovely. And in the Hartnell throwback episode with Stephen and Vicky, mm. um, they see Colin Baker's, the sixth Doctor's coat, hanging <laughs> on a, a coat peg and they hardly wear wear, <laughs> see the Doctor wearing something <laughs> like this. Um, and it, it made me think about how different Colin is to mm, William Hartnell, mm. but I, I've i always wanted to love Colin, yeah. and I've always struggled before because of the episodes he was given in, I guess, drawing similar parallels to Jodie Whittaker, in yeah, a way, yeah. like brilliant actors being served scripts that don't always do justice mm. to the part they can play, but recently... Because I'm not a big finish fan, and lots of people talk about how Big Finish made them see Colin in a different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there are his, some great
1: Colin Big mm, Finishes. Yeah,
0: his little appearances in *Power of the Doctor* and *Tales of the Tardis*, *Tales from the Tardis*, *Tales from the Tardis*. Yeah, have really made me think about him in a different way. Oh, and just those yeah. little snippets, I, I feel so much more kind of warmth towards his portrayal of the Doctor, and I'd really like to see more of it. So. If Russell T. Davies is listening to this, <laughs> which is unlikely, I must admit, um, if you want to give Colin his own special or a little mini-series or something, <laughs> hey, well, it looks like at least two people that will be watching yeah. it, and I'm sure oh, thousands, thousands, millions of others. Yeah. So,
1: Well, hey, they're talking about giving Paul McGann a series. Finally, oh, I so. hope so. Yeah. Oh, that would be very good. Yes. Oh, that would be Christmas, as Bernard Cribbins <laughs> said. Um, but just, yeah, so back to The Toymaker. There is another, there's one of the, you know, the, the BBC books, I think the classic Doctor's Adventures, like Last of the Gadarene by Mark Gatiss, mm. the fabulous Last of the Gadarene was part of that series. There is a Toy Maker novel in that series, but I haven't read it and it's out of print now. And I looked on eBay and it's like upwards of 60 odd quid. So anyone wants to uh, send us a copy or <laughs> give us a synopsis, please. No, so I can't tell you about that one but more recently the toy maker has reappeared uh, in a wonderful collection that came out what a few years it's called doctor who tales of terror and it's wonderful because there are quite a few doctor who it's puffing it's like you know kids stories but um anthologies there are a couple of christmas ones the 12 doctors of christmas which is wonderful <laughs> um oh yeah the audiobook yeah 2017 um uh and but this is more uh of a halloween book not explicitly but uh, the first the first story in particular it goes by order of doctor and the first doctor story it takes place on a halloween party there's a gorgeous illustration of them walking up to the house and the the pathway is lined with carved pumpkins Mm. and uh and this might be a bit of a strange one but maybe stop listening now if you don't want spoilers for tales of terror because we can't really talk about it without spoiling it but this episode is called the toy maker so i'll let you draw your own conclusions as to who the villain is revealed to be uh but if you want but if you want information about the toy maker then listen on um brave brave subscriber i don't think we're spoiling anything
0: for the first episode because the idea of the toy maker is in it from the beginning and when i said episode i meant story, story yeah but, um yeah it's all the, it's it, it, all the one and the same yeah and and in the first story we're taken into a Halloween costume party and it really kind of taps into a lot of those ghoulish spooky oh, kind of childhood Halloween yeah. type uh, sort of scenarios and there are children at the party mm-hmm. there's this strange scenario going on with adults and children and Stephen and Dodo who I think are supposed to be teenagers
1: but um... yeah I think so even though they're about 25
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and they're all at this party and they all get separated. So the Doctor... Mm. I almost wondered if Jacqueline Rayner is giving a nod to the TV series here because the Doctor is largely <laughs> absent. and it It's almost like William Hartnell and... was on holiday yes, or something. Yeah. If for Cause...
1: one episode, he's just a hand. Yes.
0: <laughs> and it happens a lot. Like yeah, I was thinking, yeah. I was watching uh, the, the, the Time Meddler recently. And again, it's Stephen and Vicky through a lot of it. Yeah. Um, so... I think it happened quite a lot that Hartnell was off-screen for various reasons. See, they embrace
1: it these days and call it a Doctor Light episode. (laughs) We get something like Blink. But in the old days, oh, the Doctor's invisible for this episode, so we'll get another actor to play his hand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But in the uh, story, Stephen and Dodo are separated, and they both end up at separate kind of Halloween games, one for boys and one for girls. (laughs) It's the 60s. Well, yes, yeah, indeed. And they both have to play different games. And steven's is really well they're both really quite sinister but Stephen <laughs> yeah. is bobbing through apples but do the apples they have fangs yeah. in them, and they're biting yeah and they're making people bleed <laughs> it's like something out of it's nightmare before think. christmas yeah. it's brilliant and i'm trying to remember what dodo's
1: I game is. it's been a, it's um, been a, a couple of years since i read it actually mm, but um
0: but she's playing something equally sinister and i think it ends up with her like covered in blood yeah <laughs> and possibly a child being covered in blood as well it's really quite gruesome <laughs> yeah it's um, brilliant And then they meet the Doctor and there's a very abrupt resolution to it Mm. where the Doctor says... Well, now we're playing a different game, and it's confused yeah. the Toy Maker so we can make our escape. And yeah. I thought, what a well, rubbish ending! That's a bit abrupt. Yeah, and I, I mean, didn't know the no. Toy Maker was coming back. No, uh, and that's I, I, later in the book. So here's the spoiler. Yeah, bit. you don't
1: suspect it at all. I didn't suspect it at all because so each story is a story about a different Doctor, and even though the ending for the first Doctor one is really abrupt, oh, we've defeated the Toy Maker now, let's move on. I didn't dislike it because I enjoyed the story it's so much. Nice. It's
0: you think, oh, it's a bit of fluff. It's a yeah, lovely exactly, bit exactly. of fluff. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And then there's a second Doctor story. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember that one. But the third oh, it's Doctor, the Ouija board one. Oh yes, Ooh. yes, yes, yes. It's really eerie. Yes, it is. It's um, cool. Uh, and the third Doctor one is amazing. Starman. <laughs> some some children in the 70s befriend a stranded Dalek, <laughs> in the woods. that they think is a benevolent alien, and they call him Starman. <laughs> uh, the fourth Doctor story sees the return of the Carrionites. That's very, very, yes. very cool. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, the fifth Doctor one, I remember not enjoying as much. Is it on some sort of space cruiser? No, that's the Paul McGann one. I, oh, no, is it the Mara? It's the Mara, isn't it? It is
0: the Mara, yeah. Uh, so I guess maybe it's supposed to be set between Kinder and Snake Dance, because it seems like it's the first time they've encountered yeah. it again. Um, yes, yeah. And it's Tegan and Nissa, but not Adric, I think
1: post-earth shock yeah <laughs> um but yeah so it seems like you know every story is very different mm. and then the sixth doctor story and i should have twigged because it's also written by jacqueline rayner yeah. who has written some wonderful uh, bbc books novels mm. i think she did the last dodo which was really popular um was the clockwise man no that's just Justin in richards, in richards yeah. yeah and there's a great uh, audio book of the last dodo narrated by david tennant actually ah. yeah definitely definitely check that out. Do you remember the glory days of those BBC books when they would always give away free CDs with newspapers? I've got so many little cardboard Mm. slipcases with those audiobooks in. Feast of the Drowned, that kind of thing. So many greats. Um, Have you got the one where Chris Threckleston
0: reads them and you look at it, you put the track in, and it just says it's twenty two second long, and it's just the sound of him saying, sob this, and he chucks the script over the side. I've got
1: every one, yeah. yeah. He did it for every episode. Yeah. All, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, Chris. Might want to take that out, I don't know. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so it's a really bizarre story, the Sixth Doctor story. The, the Sixth Doctor is on his own in the TARDIS, uh, and there's a knock at the door, and some children run in, <laughs> trick-or-treating. And the
0: children look like small versions <laughs> of the previous Doctors. Except,
1: yeah, it's really weird how she... Oh, one's got long white hair. Well, it's his long blonde hair. One's got scruffy black hair. One's got curly hair. And you're like, hang on. These are the previous Doctors. As children. As children. <laughs> it's so bizarre. And then the the, the big twist is that um, he's still playing the Toymaker's mm. game. And, and it has... Ev- and has been, has been, been the, the whole entire time. time, yeah. And so, basically, all his previous incarnate, previous incarnations, everything we've we've seen, not just read in this book, the implication is everything we've seen on screen is a lie. Mm. And I love it; made me laugh so much. I was so I was desperate for you to read it because it was just so funny and cheeky and brilliantly Doctor Who that she says well, didn't you didn't stop to realise yes. where everything looks so ramshackle? Wh- wh- wobbly corridors. And didn't you use that like rubbish sock puppet dinosaurs? I yes. think, oh, that's why classic Doctor Who looks the way it does because they're all toys. And and the ending kind of implies that the Doctor's escaped and, and he kind of refutes the toy maker thing. But I felt it was very much implied that no, none of this is real. It's quite
0: ambiguous, isn't and it? Quite and quite sinister. Some people might struggle with that because some <laughs> people like certainty to yeah, in the yeah. narrative. But being Twin Peaks fans, yeah. we like ambiguity and lots of questions.
1: But also, you know, I love the, the the cheeky sort of meta-ness of it. The Doctor Who is people playing. yeah. Especially now that in, around the 50th anniversary, there was um, a sort of comedy thing called the Five-ish Doctors, <laughs> and Stephen Moffat was in it playing himself, yes. and he was sat at his desk with a, a Matt Smith and a David Tennant action figure making them play. And he's like, well, that's exactly, that's it. that was yeah. his job. Mm-hmm. Um and I loved it, uh, but and it gave me, probably influenced a really weird dream I had a few weeks ago that I told you about, in which... Um I, I dreamt the 60th anniversary specials, mm. and it was a very similar thing in which you found out that basically everything that had happened in Doctor Who thus far since the 60s was all just you know um a game of the Toy Makers, and he and he kind of he carved up reality, and and it, we were we came out of it with um, the Time Lords never having existed, and it was completely unclear whether or not that they'd all because of course there were no Time Lords, there was no Gallifrey in the original Hartnell yes. Doctor Who, and it it was completely ambiguous as to whether or not they'd been an invention of the toy makers or whether he just deleted them from history, but and it, in a really weird way, it was a neat way of wrapping up all the kind of you know, you know, there's a lot of divided opinion on the timeless children storyline, and it, but it kind of wrapped that up, and it wrapped up the time war, and there was literally at the end of it, there was just the Doctor, the Doctor, this unknowable, mysterious, immortal traveller in space and time who had no home planet, who had no species, and the, because the Toy Maker had undone everything, and it was it was really ra- I woke up from that dream feeling shocked. <laughs> And it makes you wonder if it's
0: in Russell's gift to do mm. that, and if not necessarily that, but if he's using the toy maker as yeah. this universe reshaping force in order to address some of those yeah. things. So it'll be interesting to see if Very. he does that, and if he does, he knows where to send the check. <laughs> you <laughs> you heard, heard it on it here book of first. Breakfast* first, <laughs> yeah,
1: um, and uh... check care of Chris's <laughs> dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah royalties for my dream weaving um but yeah but also a lot of the dream lord a lot of people have been uh angry or you know opinionated online because people love having opinions online <laughs> yes, about the fact do. that russell said that the um that Shooty Gatwa's first series is going to be called Series 1 and not Series 14. Um, I mean, I'm still angry that the 2005 series was called Series 1. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's water off a duck's back for me. I don't I don't care. I'm not angry
0: at all no. about either of them and think they're just numbers. <laughs> it's all just Doctor Who. And, and, and like, if Stephen Moffat could write The Day of the Doctor, yeah. like, with all chapter numbers out of sequence, <laughs> and the Celestial Maker. Ebook mm. can have random missing chapters. Russell C. Davies can number his <laughs> of course, series however he likes. Of course he can. It's got it's got previous.
1: However, mm. it does make me wonder if he is in the David Tennant specials going to deploy some kind of huge universal reset.
0: I mean, he's going to blow up
1: the universe, which to a layman like me sounds like a terrible idea. I'll tell you what Russell's going to do. Mm. He's going to detonate the, the reality, reality bomb. bomb! Well, that's quite enough of speculation about the toy maker. Um, we'll be back for more speculation. But before we go, because this isn't a typical episode, there's no breakfast. Um, so we're going to have a, a, a quiz, a, a quiz at breakfast instead of food. We've got the Doctor Who unofficial quiz book by Beth, Beth Axford. And we're going to open it on random questions and really, you know, put. We've been claiming to be Doctor Who uh, <clears throat> enthusiasts for two <laughs> years on this podcast. Let's put ourselves to the test.
0: Okay. I, I think you'll get this one <laughs> uh, The Daleks measure time differently to us on Earth <laughs> This is multiple choice so I'll give you your options But mm. I think you already know it What unit do they use? A. rels B. Reels Or C.
1: Bills <laughs> I'll give you a few moments So you at home can play too <laughs> Do you know? Talk. 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 It's rels, of course. It's rels. It Although I think in some episodes they refer to rels as distance rather than units of time. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like Dalekanium. Sometimes yes. it, it's the metal they're made of. Sometimes it's a it's a corrosive substance that destroys them. But uh, and, you a, know, a wizard, the toy maker, the did toy it. maker, toy maker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, completely. This is divided into seps- uh, sections like the TARDIS and aliens and adversaries. But I'm going to be completely random. Uh, what have I got? Ooh. That's so random, it's a chapter title. Planets and Worlds. So here we go. The seventh Doctor and Ace ended up on Cheetah Planet in survival. What was special about this planet? A, it had no moon. B, it was made of ice. Or C, it was sentient.
0: That's actually a good question. Mm. Um I know it's not B. Yes, that's Ice World. Yeah, and that's that's deliberately put in there to, to throw us off the scent.
1: Um, I'm going to go with It Had No Moon. Eh? Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it was sentient. Ah. The whole thing with the weird connection the cheetah people have. I don't actually know where the answers are. I was so <laughs> confident that we'd know them all. Uh, I didn't even bother to look. Cheetah Planet, home to the cheetah people and kitlings, was sentient. Oh! You're fool, you damn fool. Have I
0: been voted off the podcast now? Like is this like a BBC One Saturday night game show? That's right, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, replace you with the toy maker. <laughs>